Have you ever scrambled with thoughts on how you were going to entertain your guest at your big event or big event that you were hosting? Why not treat your amazing guest with live music? Allow me to personally recommend to you a saxophonist that's guaranteed to bring his best every time he performs. Verl Tolbert is his name, his bilanguage, his enthusiasm, his smile will tell you his story. Verl played at my wedding and he was also a guest on this podcast, episode number four. A natural entertainer and talented musician, Verl T, the perfect choice for all events and special occasions, playing smooth jazz, R&B, neo-soul, blues, pop, and gospel music are his passion. Saxophonist Verl Tolbert is from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and has been playing saxophone for over 15 years. Verl T plays alto, soprano saxophone, electric wind instrument, also known as the Iwi, with a heavy dose of soul. Allow Verl T to help make your event something super special. For booking information, navigate to verlt.com. That's Verl spelled V-E-A-R-L, the letter T, dot com. There are two types of communication, verbal and nonverbal. My name is Wong Lim, your host of Defining Moments Podcast, and today's very special guest is Johnny Renninger Jr. from Midwest City, Oklahoma. He's deafness by four generations. One tweet during Halloween last year were of ghosts. My wife put up ghosts in the front yard and they were singing, they were dancing around, and he thought Johnny thought that post was really cool. He just wished he could understand what the ghosts were saying or speaking. Once we let another, through an interpreter we met, he was sign languaging obviously, and I was watching and I would speak and his interpreter would speak to me. And I thought it was really fascinating how we were actually able to communicate. And his story is very fascinating. So I was like, hey, Johnny, we should do a podcast we'll bring your interpreter on and he can sign for both of us. And that's exactly what happened in this podcast. If you get a chance, check it out on YouTube. Search Defining Moments Podcast. And this podcast is super special because you'll be able to see the interaction through the interpreter, through Johnny's body language, his gestures. And of course, you are able to hear the audio version of this through his interpreter. Johnny, thank you so much for coming on and thank you for your enthusiasm and life. Appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for tuning in to Defining Moments Podcast. Get on social media, find us on Instagram at Defining Moments Podcast, on Twitter at Def Moments Pod, that's at D-E-F Moments Pod. We're on all sorts of podcasting platforms from Google to iTunes, iHeartRadio, to Spotify, search Defining Moments Podcast, like it, subscribe to it. We're also on YouTube so you can see the video edition. Search the Finding Moments podcast, like it, subscribe to it if you believe in it. And no matter what, show some appreciation today, every day, because someone is always rooting you on. Welcome back to the Finding Moments podcast. My name is Wong Lam and today's very special guest is the co-chair of the ADA committee in Midwest City, Oklahoma, the president of the Oklahoma City Association for the Deaf. He's also third generation deaf, John Renninger Jr. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Appreciate you having on. Oh, I'm excited to be here, yeah. yeah. So here's a note that my wife and I write uh, to our guest, and we want you to have this as a little token of appreciation for you to keep, and thank you for coming on to the show. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. I appreciate you welcoming me and being open um, to bring me in today. I've been really excited and I hope that our message can go out and that it will educate the community at large, you know, and locally, nationally, across the world. Awesome. As I mentioned that you're the gen third generation deaf. And so the voice that our guests are hearing is Jake Alexander. He's nationally certified sign language and you've been doing this for uh, six years. Yep. Right? So we appreciate you as well coming on to our show. Happy to be here. All right. So how's your day going? 
Oh, this morning, you know, I got up, I just got ready, got a shower, um, got my breakfast and made sure I had all my physical needs met for the day before I came over today. <laughs> your wife and your kids? Oh, they're great. Everything's going good. Yeah. Uh, they were still asleep when I left. So <laughs> just kind of walked by, told them I love them and, and headed out. That's awesome. Are you nervous? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. And really, it's not nervous to be here with you today. Mm. Um, I'm more nervous uh, about the message and hoping that yeah. that goes out and that it has an impact. Yeah, it, it, it's going to have an impact. And we're super honored to have you here. A few weeks ago, we connected through Twitter. And you saw our ghost and you couldn't hear what they were saying. And so you reached out and said, it'd be really cool if Atmos FX would actually do sign language ghost. Right. Yeah, I thought about that as I saw them um, and I could see their hands and you noticed uh, on that, that video that they were just pretty stationary. Yeah. Um, and I thought it'd be pretty easy to add that kind of uh, effect to it. And to be able to see that wherever you are and uh, have that access, I just wanted to be able to spread that message in uh, both the silent, the deaf world and to the hearing world. So it'd be uh, accessible both ways. Yeah, actually when I saw that and then we exchanged phone numbers and we met up you and Jake. And so I've been really intrigued about that. And it's really brought more attention to me as far as when I go about trying to text message or maybe do a post and try to write it out on and then also do a video, but give a little description about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's one of the big messages that uh, I try and emphasize for people um, you know, I'm not a big fan of podcasts because so many of them, uh, and people who create them, they don't make an effort to include, uh, people who can't hear, um, they're targeted towards an auditory audience. Um, so putting transcripts or captions or something that would allow us to be able to participate, um, those of us from the deaf community. And, you know, there's an opportunity then to discuss and to be involved. And that's an area we're really left out of that we, we could be participants in that dialogue. But without that access, we don't have the ability and we feel um, kind of stuck and left out. So trying to bring other people into that understanding and to recognize uh, the different kinds of access they can provide through transcripts or captioning that other people in other communities would be able to participate. Um, and that not everybody does that through sound. Yeah. Now that, that made my wife and I actually more aware. We've been thinking and brainstorming on how to transcribe our podcast or maybe bring in a Jake Alexander to do sign language interpretation. And so we'll, if you have ideas, suggestions, please let us know. And we'd love to, we'd love to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to help um, as much as I can. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got resources that we can pass along um, for you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what we need is resources and we need resources from uh, a man like yourself so that way we know it's accurate and it's been vetted by you yeah absolutely that's yeah. good so before we get started here's a gift from uh, my wife and i we give our guests that's for you Oh, cool. <laughs> cool. Yeah, thank you. And this is also for you. We uh, got this made from at 31 Mugs. Joni, she's a local uh, mug maker, if you will, and she designs mugs. And so that's for you. Oh, well, thank you. And Jake, this is for you, oh, sir. Thank you so much. <laughs> so you're third generation deaf. And my question is, how did you meet your wife and how did you guys get together? Well, we met at the Oklahoma School for the Deaf. Uh, I started there very early. Um, my parents are both deaf. And so I started um, in a hearing school in a mainstream setting. And they had a program for deaf education for deaf students that was there. But I was pretty separate from that. Um, and so I was there for a few years. And uh, my parents decided that I, I could go to a different school. And so uh, I went to the school for the deaf and we both graduated there. 
or they had both graduated there. So I went there in 1989, I believe, uh, there for a little bit, left, came back. Um, and then in the 90s, I, I went back and stayed all the way through graduation. Uh, but so while I was there, I met my wife um, at the Oklahoma School for the Deaf. And um, we met and it just kind of took off from there. And we've been together since uh, 1999. Wow. So when you met your wife and you got married, and of course you're third generation deaf, so is this hereditary and are your kids uh, going to be fourth generation deaf? Yeah, we um, already have three kids and they, they are uh, that fourth generation. So that's mm -hmm. pretty evident that it is genetic. Um, my grandmother was uh, raised in rural Oklahoma or actually in a part of Kansas and she was raised there and was uh, raised orally with spoken language, no access to sign language at all. Um, when she was growing up and she didn't understand her rights really fully. Um, and when she married my grandfather, my, uh, her husband, uh, they had three kids and both of their sons, uh, ended up deaf. And, uh, one of those was my dad, uh, John Renninger senior. And then uh, the second one was Billy Renninger, my uncle. And Jerry uh, Renninger, uh, Jerry Daniels, uh, after she was married, um, was hearing. But so that was that family. And then it's continued on through the generations. Wow. And you also worked at the city of Oklahoma City. So how are you able to communicate with your colleagues and how they communicate with you? Well, at work, I usually use hearing aids during the day um, to communicate, and uh, I can I can use spoken language, but uh, really, that's not part of my identity. I don't consider that who I am. Um, my identity is expressed through sign language, and I have to adjust and connect and consider the hearing uh, setting that I'm in and the society that I that I live in. But it's it's a constant change and a constant adjustment. And I wish I didn't have to. I wish I could just walk around and, and sign and feel like myself all the time. Um, but the world's not that way. And it's, it's really a struggle. Um, but I've just accepted it because that's who I am. And I hope that that message is able to go out and that people are able to see that and understand that. And the purposes of inclusion and of educating people as much as possible. Yeah. I remember when we go back to that first uh post and we started communicating, I've been inspired ever since then about getting you on the podcast and being inspired as far as trying to help you get your message across to the more more of our listeners, more guests, etc. Because it's very inspiring and it's it brings huge awareness to the community. Yeah, and that's what I really hope for, um, that the message can be shared, uh, that parents even who are hearing and have deaf children, um, that they know that they can choose the right path for their kids and that they're empowered with that um, and that they can feel inspired that their children can be successful and can grow um, and can be leaders as well. Yeah, I like the culture you, that you're trying to cultivate because culture starts with habits and your habits of expressing yourself with your family, your friends, uh, me as a total stranger at one point, now we're like bros, but it's, it's been amazing, man. Yeah. Um, you just have to, I try and get out there as much as I can and share as much as possible because, uh, you know, we have to focus on self growth, but I'm pretty satisfied with who I am. And now I know that it's time to start educating and passing on that, what I've learned through my growth to other people. Mm-hmm. And early in the intro, I mentioned the ADA for the ADA community for the city of Midwest in Oklahoma. The ADA is the, what does that stand for? It's the Americans with Disabilities Act. And that's uh, was passed in 1990 and that's been around ever since. And prior to that, uh, deaf people really struggled with uh, access. And it wasn't only deaf people, just uh, people with disabilities in general. Um, really struggled with uh, accessibility and being able to have accommodations to meet their needs and not because they were really uh, they were barriered themselves but because of the environment um, created barriers for them 
And so that bill was passed in hopes that uh, the environment would be able to adjust and accept and, and integrate them and provide the accommodations and access that people with disabilities need. Yeah. And recently there was a 911 text. So what are your thoughts on that? Oh, that's one of the things that I've been pushing for for, for so long. I, I think in 2015, 2014, um, when we started the city of Midwest City, started um, having public hearings and they wanted uh, you know feedback and input from the community at large and to find out what the city itself needed to do to improve and how they could provide better accommodations and access for people with disabilities. And as a deaf person, I felt like I needed to be there. I needed to be part of that uh, because I know that a lot of people um, on the committee, they usually have other disabilities. They, they allow that and they focus on physical barriers um, and physical environmental issues, uh, but not audio, um, auditory barriers. So I felt like my voice was important there to give that uh, perspective and possibly shift their strategies and their structure to focus not only on physical disability, but also on auditory needs. Yeah, so when you go into the committee and you, you present, of course, you you sign to the committee and how they respond. Yes, I sign and I asked for an interpreter, um, and that's how I express myself. So I get my ideas and opinions out of improving, and one of those was text to nine one one. I I saw that in the east and the west coasts uh, and other areas they were establishing that system, and I studied how they were able to do that and that we needed to be moving that direction. Um, and so I brought that into the committee because I, I it's very frustrating. If I'm out driving around um, or if I'm out on a walk, I can't report a crime. I can't call for help. If I witness something um, or an incident or an injury, if I'm stuck, I have to drive to the police department to try and contact them. Um, and by that time, the, the witness, the criminal, whatever's happening, it's gonna be gone. And so then at that point, it's almost a moot point. So I need to be able to, you could save someone's life and I need to be able to have that same access. And it was really frustrating to feel that way. And I knew that it was important to educate them um, that the system needs to be able to meet the, the needs of the next generation. And this next generation system does that. That it has the ability to accept um, video and also to bring in other uh, hints and tips from people that could uh, bring in from social media and be able to recognize uh, specific words in social media and use algorithms to identify um, criminal patterns and that that can help the 911 responders um, respond quicker um, and perform their duties. So I gave that uh, idea to our, our committee that we need to upgrade our system. And as that went through, you know, it, as it progresses, they can add more things with the audio, the video, and those things being able to be accessible. And then uh, technology just makes it better for everybody. Yeah, that seems like a really huge win for the entire community, entire state, entire the nation, because it's about being verbal and nonverbal. And the ability to communicate either way is so important. Right. I've noticed stories of other places uh, when they uh, have established text on one that it saved lives, like people who uh, there's an abuser in the home, they're with them and they, they wouldn't be safe to try and call 911 on the phone and talk because somebody would hear it. Um, and so in that case, they can send a text message and get help. And I've seen that kind of story happening in people's lives being saved. So it doesn't only apply to me as a deaf person, but it can be used in a lot of situations where you have to be quiet in that kind of setting. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's saved lives. And I've also seen a few stories locally on the news, all the channels, they, they're having this covered in Oklahoma City. I think the city of Edmond is another one. Yes, uh, Edmond uh, was actually the first one. Mm -hmm. I think they uh, set it up and they had a story in Edmond that kind of initiated everything. And I really uh, applaud them for that because they'll really save people's lives through this. And I felt, you know, that that's something that my needs uh, may even help somebody else who 
doesn't have the same uh, need for accommodation, but could still could still benefit from it. Yeah, that, that's a huge moment for you because you're a big time advocate for that. So when you go through life, what other moments uh, personally for you, I call them defining moments have um, brought you here to where you are today? Oh, you know, there's always a lot. <laughs> there's always many. When I was really young, I remember being a small boy and my mom and dad were deaf um, and would sign at home. And our, our home was always in sign. That's how we communicated. And when I went to a hearing school, I saw other kids that didn't have the same opportunity as me, even though they were deaf. They didn't have that access at home. And I didn't understand why they didn't have that, why they couldn't communicate like I could. Um, I did, they didn't understand world issues and things that were going on at that time. And it was, it was frustrating, but these were my friends and I still love them. Uh, it didn't really matter if they were experiencing language deprivation and what things they were going through. I still wanted to spend time with them and I wanted to bring them along and help them along in that and try and inspire them to, to continue to do more. And at times I would feel like my education and my needs um, compared to other hearing kids in their backpack, they'd have different kinds of work. They'd have different math that I hadn't seen before. Uh, that they weren't giving me in class. And I was trying to figure out why that would be that way. And I asked my parents, you know, what is what is an X? What does that mean in math? I've never seen that before. And my parents uh, said, oh, in math, that's multiplication. So my hearing peers were doing that. And I said, well, why am I not doing that? Uh, my friends that are hearing, they're taking multiplication in math, but we haven't started it yet. And that's where my parents realized that, you know, I hadn't progressed to that point in class, but that it was, it was appropriate at that time. I think I was in third grade. So that would have been appropriate skills to be working on. And that started concerns with my parents and working through uh, the IEP process. Yeah. And I guess that was, uh, I was never really involved in the IEP discussions at that point. I was younger. Uh, they just kind of set me outside uh, in the lobby somewhere. And I'd wait for the adults to finish the, the, the meeting to address my educational needs, but I didn't really understand what was happening. But I remember them having that meeting and my parents struggling and feeling frustrated. I could see that in their faces after they would come out of an IEP meeting. And I didn't know why, I didn't understand what had happened. And as we went along, uh, based on our conversations, I began to re recognize that they didn't feel satisfied uh, with what the school was able to provide me. And that if they weren't satisfied, what were we gonna do about it? And over time, you know, I, I really, I care about my friends and the friendships that I had at school. But I told, I asked my parents one day, I said, where did you go to school? And they said, well, we both went to the Oklahoma School for the Deaf. And uh, when I realized that, uh, we went wrong and I continued to think about it and process through that. And I thought it might be time for me to try that and to go there and that I may be able to uh, expand my language and my opportunities, my education um, and different areas that I needed to, to grow and that I'd be able to meet my parents' expectation. And they said, you know, yeah, we think it might, or I thought it might be time. So I told them I wanted to go to the deaf school. And so I went for about half a year at that first time um, when I joined and it was 1989, like I said. And I went along for um, the last uh, semester and, you know, people, the hearing people involved are always concerned about the noise or if it's too quiet, but in the cafeteria, uh, you know, kids are always talking, they're, uh, they're loud, um, and that, that level just increases, increases. So, and that was in the hearing school, but at, at Oklahoma School for the Deaf, it's a different kind of noise. You hear trays banging down, you hear uh, people pulling chairs back and not caring about the, the noise that it makes and that environmental sound. Uh, you know, kids yelling across to try and get each other's attention. And that wasn't normal to me. I felt like that wasn't right because I hadn't been there before. And I felt uncomfortable and I actually asked parents to go back to my hearing school because that was the environment I was used to and OSD was a new kind of setting. So when I went back to that mainstream setting for the, the next part of that year, uh, I spent time during that summer really thinking, uh, you know, and of course I was enjoying my summer as a kid, but trying to figure out where I needed to be. Should I be at the deaf school or... Um, what did I want to do? And I decided that that was what I wanted and I was going to tough it out. I was going to stick it out. Um, and so I told my parents uh, when they asked, they said, you know, where do you want to go to school next year? What's the plan? I said, I, I want to do OSD. And I went and went all the way through the rest of my high school um, and graduated in 2000. And 
that was that was kind of where my world was. Um, my language at home was through American Sign Language, and that was the same way at my new school at OSD. And I was able to communicate fluently with everybody there, with my friends, um, without any kind of problem. You know, every now and then, we'd have somebody come in that was new that wasn't fluent in the language yet, and they experienced language deprivation, not having access to sign language at home. And that's not their fault. Um, but I just, in those, I remember those times trying to help them and bring them along because I had that experience of being left out in a hearing school and I knew that how they were feeling. So I wanted to be able to provide that, that intro and access to people who were coming into the deaf school for the first time. Wow. That's a really impressive story. And the, I can tell by your body language that you're really passionate about the time when you went from a hearing to the OSD and the struggles that I feel like I can emotionally sense that you had. What have you learned from that transition from going to an audible school to OSD? Well, I learned how to better interact with different kinds of people. Um, understand different concepts more. Um, after I had that experience, I, I had better understanding of concepts that um, kids who had experienced language deprivation, it wasn't necessarily um, their parents' fault at that time. Parents didn't have the resources that they needed to make, um, you know, educated, understanding about how to better provide for their kids, for their deaf students. Um, it's really the system. Uh, the system is based on auditory spoken language, and that's what we expect everybody to do. We expect everybody to be able to talk and listen. And so they try and uh, bring people to accommodate in and meet and match the system that all already exists instead of making the system match people's needs. Um, and I really saw that. Yeah, you talked about talk and listen. For me, it's almost like just actively. I always talk about active listening, but right now I'm actively watching and paying attention to what you're doing and that's why i can sense the energy and that's why i can sense that you're excited and you're huge about sign language and how we're going to spread this message and make it even more widely known and how even podcasts could expand and become better for the community and inclusion is a huge word you know so i appreciate you Talking about that, it's huge for me too. Yeah, um, I'm a big supporter um, of diversity, and but I'm also a big supporter of inclusion. Mm. I think that that's really important um, that we accept people from from different uh, parts of the community and that everybody is included. Uh, without that, we we can't succeed. We can't we can't do it without lifting people up. Um, individually, it won't work. We have to lift up everyone and uh, carry carry this all together into the future so that we can continue to improve. Yeah, I, I love that attitude, number one. It's awesome. I can just tell it by just you being able to meet me for the first time at the coffee shop in Midtown. Yeah, I do remember that. And uh, <laughs> I remember that first kind of awkwardness uh, when we sat down. Uh, it was kind of an awkward silence there for a minute, but... Uh, we were able to communicate in text, and I just really enjoyed your your motivation uh, to try and connect no matter what, um, no matter where you were at that time, um, regardless of your experiences and that in that moment, um, being willing to try. Um, and that moment was really important to lead us to where we are today and to be here doing this, you know, and feel like we're brothers in two different worlds, <laughs> um, in two different universes, uh, just going parallel, and we were able to make that connection. Yeah, that, that actually just gave me chills, man. So thank you so much for that. I remember when we first did meet and I talked about, I coached soccer, voice competitive soccer for a very long time. And I always talk about the importance of communication, whether it's verbal or nonverbal. And even at soccer practices, we would even have it where I would, nothing was verbal. Everything was eye contact, body language. How do I want the ball? Where do I want it? So for me, awkwardness at first, sure. However, it was really, we warmed up rather quickly. <laughs> yeah, we really did. We really did. Um, 
And it was really quick to just be able to make that connection and feel like we understood each other and uh, were able to to move on. And I feel like not only because uh, English is my second language, uh, I think you, you know, seeing that in your parents as well, seeing their experience and experiencing English as a second language and still being able to thrive and succeed here in the United States. Um, and that that would in, be an inspiration to you, I can imagine, growing up. And uh, that they were able to do that and I've been able to do that. And that connection of those experiences that language is important. Yes. You know, and that's why I want that same access to be provided to uh, deaf children who you know, grow up deaf, that they should be able to see that. Um, and sp yes, understand hearing society, but they should also be confident and have access to their linguistic needs and be able to thrive however they can. Yeah. So when you graduated from OSD and then that next level was going to find a job, how was that? Well, that was a big learning experience for me because... I mean, well, I, I recognized later that my network um, of people uh, was mostly deaf. And I didn't have a whole lot of networking and connection with the hearing community at that point. So when I would go into a job, it was really a struggle to try and, uh, I tried to start at Mathis Brothers. And uh, that's where I started my first job and figuring out how to do that. And I eventually moved on to Walmart, and that was a little bit of a struggle working with them. But as I just continued, uh, I was also in college at the time. So doing those two things at the same time, working and doing college, was difficult. Um, but so just trying to balance my life. And, you know, you'd have, uh, you know, kids showed up. So that increases your responsibility. So I'm trying to support my family and then also go to school and do work all at the same time. Uh, so getting through that, um, was an experience, but uh, you know, I'm here today. Um, I work for the state of Oklahoma and I help people make roads. That's what I do. And, you know, I feel very, very happy, um, with where I am and content with where I am, but I was figuring out that I needed to include hearing people in my network, uh, when something happens, um, if I'm so that when I meet somebody, I can, uh, interact with them and communicate as well. Um, and that's where the ADA um, and the council with the city of Midwest city and the committee that I'm on uh, is a big, uh, a big part, like Boy Scouts programs and different hearing organizations that I can connect with um, to try and bring that inclusion. Yeah. And you, you went to college. So then do you, I don't know if the Votex here, vocational technology centers, do they have classes that, that teach sign language? or do they have professors that hold classes in sign language for you to get that next level of education? Well, I went through uh, college with an interpreter. Uh, I had an interpreter in my classes and that uh, was what helped me have access because I had grown up at a deaf school or I had gone through a deaf school and that's where teachers do sign. So there was no barrier to me interacting directly with my instructor, even if, uh, you know, hearing teachers a lot of times, they will be writing on the board looking backwards. And so you can't get that information. But when you have a teacher that does sign themselves, you can actually interact directly with them without a third person making making it make sense. So I hadn't had that experience before. And when I went into college, I had to adapt to that environment of not uh, being able to have a direct conversation with my instructor, my teacher. Um, I had to depend on the interpreter at that point and uh, their qualifications if they were good. And if I could understand their signing, um, if they had the linguistic skills that I needed. So those were all important factors that I had to start learning to consider. Uh, so I had to start telling people, you know, I couldn't understand this interpreter. Could we get this interpreter in that class um, to make sure that I was able to better understand and uh, access my education? So I'm always an advocate of trying to get uh, an interpreter and the, the needs and accommodations met um, at colleges and anywhere uh, that I go. I, I, I I purport for that and work on that. And, you know, if I go to the doctor, I have an interpreter and I request that through their office. So um, I always have an interpreter when I'm in a, a public accommodation setting like that. Yeah. So and you brought up a great point about the, the doctor. So when you request it, is it 
how long does it take for the interpreter to get there in case, let's say you have an emergency, you got a fever, how long does that take for an interpreter to get there? <clears throat> well, emergency situations, um, I, I, I'm lucky I haven't had a serious emergency happen where it was a, a life-threatening emergency at this point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Knock on wood. Um, but I haven't had that happen, but I have been to the emergency room and when we get there, we request an interpreter and it can take a while uh, for an on-site interpreter to arrive. I believe that uh, the ability to save lives is in video re, uh, video remote interpreting, BRI, mm. um, that's done through video um, and it's instantly accessible and that, that that's a good tool to save people's lives that are in, you know, right now life-threatening situations. Um, that it can be very helpful because you can connect to an interpreter on a, on a screen immediately and bring them in. Um, and I think that that's really important. But on-site interpreters are also important um, that they can be used in tandem. Um, it depends on the timing and the situation of what would be appropriate. And some people in the deaf community are not fans of VRI. Um, they'd rather have an on-site interpreter. But in some situations, uh, it could be important to have that other accessibility option. For example, for my privacy, you know, um, I live here and there's a lot of interpreters here. So if I'm having to, you know, have a personal exam, I may not want an interpreter in the room. And that can be really awkward, um, some of the situations we have with a doctor. And that doesn't happen with a BRI interpreter. They can just be on a stand. You can turn the, the iPad, face it up, and it doesn't matter if you're unzipping or what. They can't see anything. But a live interpreter, I don't know where their eyes are. I don't know what they're doing. So it can be a valuable tool. <laughs> That's pretty funny. What's the most frustrating part about just going to the doctor, going to the grocery store, school, work? What's, what are a couple things that are frustrating to you? Well, the most frustrating thing, thing is when I meet hearing people who are just ignorant. Um, we know they think that the whole world can hear. Um, they expect me to lip read. That's, that's the most frustrating thing. Um, I met a person before that um, at Whataburger and I was going there to eat and was trying to order and wrote down my order and or I was trying to indicate that I needed paper to write down my order and she talked to me and you know I motioned again no I need I need to write and she just kept talking and I finally had to you know point at my ear and be like hey I can't hear I need paper and motioning what's pretty clear but she just kept talking at me um, and she was talking to people in the kitchen finally somebody came over and I got their attention and did the same motion to write and they just instantly gave me a piece of paper and pen. And so we wrote down our order and gave it to the woman at the register that we had started with, but she kept talking at us. And I just couldn't figure that out, that she still didn't understand that I'm deaf, uh, that she could talk all she wanted, but I had no access to that. I had no way to know what she was saying um, and that she just didn't seem to understand that I was different in that way. Uh, so after we finished our order, we went over and sat down and this, it was the same lady who brought us our order and she came over and continued to talk to us at the table. And I'm like, you still don't get this. Like at what point, how, how do I do this? Uh, so that gets frustrating. Uh, like, how can I, how can I make you understand? What can I do for that? You know, I've, I've pointed, I've covered my ears. I've, we've had to write down my whole family is signing that we're all deaf. Like at what, what clue do you need? So that gets frustrating. Um, people who are just closed-minded and don't seem to want to understand um, and understanding other people's needs. Uh, that's that's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Do you think that with since we're in 2019, about to be 2020, with technology that we have, you go into Whataburger, do they have touch screen where you can just order what you want and pick it up? I, I don't know if they have that one. I don't go to Whataburger, so... <laughs> Well, uh, I'm not here advertising anything, but uh, no, they don't have that kind of uh, order confirmation or a kiosk, anything like that at Whataburger. McDonald's does now. Mm. Um, I've noticed that they, they established that very quickly. Um, Taco Bell is also getting that kind of technology. So I think that that does help a lot because then I can go in independently and just go straight over and, and get what I want. Um, so that's a, that's a big help. It can be a little bit of a struggle sometimes because we've got five people in my family. 
uh, and some of the kids are picky, and so we have to delete uh, different ingredients. You have to edit and customize. No lettuce, no tomato, um, and do all of that to get everybody exactly what they want. Uh, but when I grew up, I just learned to to accept what I was given. So, um, and I'd, I'd eat whatever my parents gave me. But you know, we just pointed to the menu and whatever it was, however it came. The default was what we got. But now it's much more customizable, and my children are used to that. So I wish I could go back and just say, you know, eat what you get. That's what's on the screens. But uh, it's that's society today. That's the way it's going. Yeah, no, that, that's fair and that's honest. I I would hate for myself to go into a McDonald's or Whataburger. Oh, well, my wife probably wouldn't let me anyways because she's got uh, sensitivities to gluten. So it'd be interesting to say, yeah, I don't want gluten on this. <laughs> I want this. I want that. You know, it'd be all these ingredients. And it's like, man, how, what are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to eat? <laughs> We're just going to sit there. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like that sometimes as well. <laughs> Chick-fil-A though, they're they're pretty decent, right? <laughs> yeah, they're pretty good. Um and they don't have an order a kiosk system either. Oh, okay. But uh we write down the order and then I know I've noticed they seem to be pretty good on accuracy with their order compared to a lot of other places. And I don't know what the difference is in that, but their their business culture is is very different. Um, and sometimes when I write down an order with them, uh, I, I get the food and it's completely different with other other places. It's not what I ordered or what I wanted. And you have to go back up and show them what you wrote down. And this is what we ordered, but this is what's on the plate. So what's going on? And um, you know, sometimes if it's messed up, you you might get it comped and get them food or even more food than last time. So. Uh, that might explain this <laughs> this belly right here, but <laughs> oh man! <laughs> well, if you don't mind, let's take a little deep dive into your personal life a little bit, just about you, because uh, this podcast is basically about you. I I like to know what are maybe two questions you wish people would sign you, ask you. Uh, more that no one really ever asks or signs. Well, I've had experiences with different kinds of people, and some people, for example, uh, like not understanding that deaf people can drive or can drive a stick. Um, and I, I don't understand how they don't understand that. Um, <laughs> And I've asked, why do you think that deaf people can't do that? And then apparently hearing people do that based off of the sound of the engine. But I can feel that. I can feel when the motor is ready to shift. Um, so things like that. And uh, I wish hearing people were more understanding of who I am, that they wanted to know that. Um, not focusing on what I can or can't do based on uh, auditory, focal um but that I can be a whole person without all of that, without hearing and listening and speaking. They depend, hearing people depend on those needs so often uh, and they try and apply that to their environment all the time, but I don't need that access. I don't, I can function without those. Uh, for example, we're doing this in a music studio. Um, there's musical instruments all over the place on the walls and uh, they don't have any meaning to me. I, I just know what they are, and I understand that through feeling, through vibration. Um, if you turn the music up, I can feel that in my body. Um, if a person is playing uh, on a drum, I can often understand that and connect through that uh, because I can feel it. Uh, so I can access that without my ears working. Um, but there are some things that, you know, if I can't feel it, I, I'm not going to feel inspired by a guitar or something like that, just acoustic, because I don't have access. But I still have ways to access music um, without focusing on my ears. And, you know, some people, they, if they would ask me who I am as a person and how I get through my day, um, you know, I can be successful and I can thrive in this world where a lot of people believe that I need to be able to hear and need to be able to access sound. I can still be, be still be successful in a world that's silent to me. You know, I go swimming and I feel uh, just fine by myself. You know, we had a barrier. Um how do I sign between? Okay, so uh, we had a barrier between us. Um, 
but if I go swimming, I can still communicate through water or through a window or across tenants and you can't do that. Um, I have an ability that hearing people don't have or across a room where people are talking, um, I can sign to people and, and have that conversation still. So my life and my experience has positives, positives and negatives, but I can still be successful with that. And I'm able to, uh, to merge and have interaction with a lot of different people. Yeah, it's interesting you talked about can deaf people drive a stick shift. And I remember back when I was younger, they it was a four-speed. But you could, you really can feel when you're able to shift, upshift, downshift, without actually hearing anything, but just getting the feeling of the way the car is and the motor and the, the revving of the engine. You can definitely tell when you need a shift. If not, I guess we're in trouble. Right, absolutely. Um, but that's something some people have asked. You know, I've uh, I drive a car that's not automatic, but and I can still feel when it's having an engine problem. Mm -hmm. um, I can feel that it's something's different and that something's not right, and uh, I can try and figure out what's causing that vibration. If it's something that I can fix, if it's uh, an issue that I know about, sometimes it can be frustrating because uh, you know it's based on sound, it's based on hearing. Um, but people say, well, does it sound like this or does it sound like this? And I don't, I can't do that. I can just say it feels different. Uh, so why don't we describe how it feels uh, when you're driving it? What, what mm. that, what that effect is. Um, so trying to, again, meet other people where they're at instead of being my needs being met um, so that I could then recognize what the issue is and be able to fix my car. Yeah. I love it, man. It just comes with uh, communication, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's just about communication. You know, it may be silent, but you can feel, you can see. And then when you have that sound all in, there's there's a, a, a different experience, but it, it improves it all when you have that accessibility from different viewpoints. Yeah, I agree. And speaking of sound, <coughs> of course, Jake is doing the voice and it's amazing the energy that you both have with each other. It, it's really fluid. Yeah, I met Jake... Uh, uh, a while ago, it's been a few years, but um, he signed. He signs well, and I noticed that he could uh, communicate the way I, uh, I need him to. And I thought he must have had deaf family or something like that um, when I found out that he was hearing and um, didn't have any deaf people in his family that he would have learned from. I really, I told him um, that if he was born again, he'd probably be deaf um, because of the way he that he signs. And uh, I have a connection with him. I can communicate easily with him. So it's a, it's a good time. Yeah, it's actually super amazing. I'm really impressed. If we didn't have social media or just any type of technology and we just had the phone or in person, who would be three people you'd like to meet or have a conversation with in real life? I've uh, spent a lot of time thinking about that because um, I know that some people uh, are really inspirational, motivational, uh, and you know, but they may not be the right person. But one person that I do wish um, that I have never met face to face that I wish I could interact with would be Niall DeMarco. Um, I really do wish I had an opportunity to sit and talk with him. Uh, he uh, comes from a deaf family, um, and he's deaf himself. I think he's fourth generation deaf, and I would really like to spend time understanding him and where he came from and uh, what his family environment was like um, and how it parallels mine. And, you know, people who have uh, multi-generational deaf, um, that that's an understanding and a different life that we have, that deaf kids who are born to... Uh, hearing families uh, don't have that experience. Um, so that's one person I've thought about. Uh, a second person in in the political arena. Um, a, a person who's being spoken and motivational uh, of the grassroots movements. Um, somebody I would really like to meet would be Bernie Sanders. Um, he really just pushes people to speak out, to be involved. Um, to from the grassroots level and to push for the the needs and the changes that they want and to spread information and education 
Um, I'd really like to learn from him as, as how he does that. Uh, no, he, he really inspires me. Um, or, but I'm also really inspired by Martin Luther King and the way that he uh, was so big with the uh, civil rights movement for black uh, Americans and the noise that he made and how they just were able to grow that movement so much um, and draw attention to the civil rights movement. Um, I wish that I had those same skills to uh, address that kind of movement in my community and make that kind of ground shaking um, movement and sound uh, and get people's attention to the needs that are, are not being addressed, um, especially language deprivation in deaf children. Um, that's a barrier we really want to, to reduce as much as possible so that deaf, deaf children are able to uh, sign and thrive and, uh, and ex access in parallel with written and spoken or with written English. So, you know, he, he understands how to move and shake. And I just feel like that would be a really uh, good time to, to pick his brain. Um, one more person might be... Uh, You know, um, oh, in the celebrity arena, I guess Russell Westbrook, <laughs> um, you know, he's a, a star athlete um, and I'd be kind of interested to get to know him and understand him too and why he chose the number zero, um, but he still just inspires people and um, is such a force, but the number means nothing. The zero, it, it, it's an absence. Uh, but you know, his, uh, his organization, um, and foundation, I've forgotten the name of it off the, uh, off the top of my head. Um, but I, the why not foundation, oh, yes. um, that's the name of his foundation. And it's just, why not? And I'm really impressed with that. Like, why not? Why not try it? Why not do something like that? Um, why not go for it? Um, why not be here today? And you know, that I can share my moment with uh, you guys. So uh, I think that that's really inspiring and that's uh, something to think about is just why not? Yeah, that's interesting. So let's let's fuse these two together, the why not movement. And you talk about Dr. Martin King Jr. about him making ground, making noise. What's holding you back? Well, really, um, I, I don't feel like there's anything. I feel like I'm I'm on a movement. Um, I just hope that I can bring in the hearing community with me and make that movement um, and bring people in as our allies to continue this. You know, the deaf community is here, and I feel that, and I know that that they're here and support me, and I have big support from from my community. Um, but we just need more than us um, to bring us onward and upward uh, just to continue to motivate and progress and uh, that we'll be able to accomplish these things in the future. Yeah, I, I, I love that I'm inspired. My wife is inspired. And we took the like, why not do a podcast with you? Because you are inspiring, man. And what you're doing is super impressive. And we need more of jo or Johnny Jr.'s running around to spread this message, you know? I agree. <laughs> we need more um, deaf advocates. We need yeah. deaf people. We st really are struggling here in Oklahoma. Um, my experience right now as an officer um, on various boards, um, I've had experience that I can share and give on to other people that they can continue this um, and that they can do, they can do better in the future. Um, but we have to keep that. We have to keep um, that movement going and we have to keep talking. Um, and it's really important part of, of this here in Oklahoma. You know, we're in the middle of the nation. We're in the heart of the United States right here in the heartland. So I really wish we could change this here and that would go out. Um, not only that we'd see it on the east and the west coast, but that it would come across the United States um, and maybe it would start here and go out. Yeah. You brought up uh, Bernie Sanders earlier. And so I noticed because it's a political figure. So I noticed on Twitter, Governor Stitt actually was doing some sign language 
on Twitter. I don't know if you if you saw that or not, but he's doing some uh, sign language about some bill or that they were passing. It was really interesting. Uh, I haven't seen that actually. Um, I wasn't really paying attention to um, a lot of the local issues at the moment. Um, I've been uh, looking at some more national issues, but uh, there's a lot of attention needed here um, locally for sure, and I, I totally know that. Um, I'm still just pushing my involvement in the city and trying to get uh, those needs met, um, hopefully, and that that will lead up to a, a higher level state and nationally. But I really just wish that we could be the first. Um, the East and the West Coast, they seem to, to be successful in so many areas, but I, I hope that we can be the first to make some change. Um, uh, a storybook, Wealth of the Grapevine, um, I think is the name of it. Um, it was back in the Dust Bowl. Um, the Grapes of Wrath, um, back in the Dust Bowl and uh that people left oklahoma and then they came back um and that's the same concept um that i i hope that the impact can happen here and then go out um and not just uh, happen outside of here i love it man what what would be a piece of advice you would give your younger self Oh, I was a shy person <laughs> back then. Uh, so really, I look at my youngest son, and uh, he's much more outspoken. But I, I wish I could tell myself to be like him, um, to just speak up for what I feel and what's what's going on. Um, my younger son is really cool because uh, one day we were driving with the windows down, and there was another person um, in a nice car next to us, and we were you know at a stoplight, and it seemed like it'd probably be pretty quick. Um, and he was talking to that person out the window and I was like, uh, something felt funny. And I looked over and realized what he was doing and they were complete strangers that he's talking to out the window, um, from the car. That was a much nicer car. And at that point I just felt like, you know, do I, do I need to roll up the windows? <laughs> do I need to keep these up when he's in the car? But just, I, I wish I could be like that. You know, I wish I could be that kind of outspoken person um, since I was little. I was very shy and um, feeling like I didn't understand things that were going on. And now that I've had, you know, more experience out in the world in college, I feel more empowered like I can do those things and use my language and to educate people and to put that message out um, as much as possible. Um, but that's a, a later developed. Um, and he's already there. So I feel like if I could do have done that earlier, um, imagine the kind of things that could have happened and the changes that it could have experienced. Um, and uh, if I could have learned that earlier and younger, I could be a better person. Yeah. Well, you are a really good person. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. I try. Um, I just try to be the best that I can. Um, and I'm really happy with who I am and content. I've said that a couple of times. I'm satisfied with where I'm at. So now I want to, I want to bring that on and pass that on. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I always talk about there's there's no finish line in, in, in life. We just got to keep moving and we pass it on generation to generation. And I feel like that's what you're doing with the community and the in the world, actually. Yeah, um, that's what I'm trying to do. Um, I think that there's a lot of finish lines. There's not one mm -hmm. um, that you, you don't just get to the end and you stop and um you're done uh you break off the the tape but you just keep going yeah i agree with you 110 percent, man if you were to look back at your life let's say 10 years ago and you had a certain belief in something come back to today is that belief still strong stronger or not as strong So my beliefs over the last 10 years, um, I think there are some things that I, I've, I've removed. Um, I've started to notice my privilege more and trying to unpack that and trying to remove that. And the purpose of that unpacking is so that I can understand other people 
um, and people that have a different experience than me. If I don't do that, um, if I don't unpack that and try and go through that, how can I be their ally? How can I, uh, if I refuse to open my mind um, to them, and if I can be open to them and their stories, then they can be open themselves and we can make a connection and we can thrive together. Uh, like today's a great example of uh, how this friendship has happened um, and how this is great. You were open and I was open and we were able to come together and we end up here. Um, so, and, and just take off. So uh, I feel like we really do understand each other and that's something that's really important for uh, other people that have a different life experience. And I, I actually, I absolutely agree with you. And there's, there's a good connection and it's a deeper connection than just a surface level. It's a deeper connection as far as I want to understand more. I want to learn more. I want to continue to learn from you and the community so we can bring in both communities and make it one big community for a better life for everyone. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's that old story. Um, I don't know if it's an idiom or a quote or a proverb or what, but um, that says it only takes one. Um, but it takes no, it takes a community to raise a child. It takes a village. Um, and that if we can just all think about uh, diversity and inclusion and all of that, that if we can bring that together as a community, we can br we can raise deaf kids to be successful. Yeah. What do you think in the next ten years you would regret if you did not do? In the next 10 years, uh, I've, been, I've been thinking hard about this one, but um, I'm really thinking about trying to run for the House of Representatives uh, for the state of Oklahoma. Not the federal, but at the state level at least. Um, and that's one big dream that I really have. Uh, and I'm motivated and want to pursue that. And it won't be necessarily soon, but I, I hope within 10 years it could happen. And right now I'm just trying to be involved in different uh, campaign groups, and different political events and that's been a real struggle actually um, and another issue is trying to be accessible with campaigns because when I tell them that I'm deaf I often get pushed to the side and not included um, and I'm here and I want to contribute and I want to be able to be a voice in my community for your your cause um, but when I get left out it's it seems like they don't want me and they don't want my community so um, trying to connect with uh, different campaigns. I've been doing that for a while. Linda Wade um, is, has been my first uh, campaign that's uh, really brought me in. And I've told her, you know, I'll drive you around. I can do a lot of things. Um, I don't have to be a spokesperson. Um, but I can go do uh, knock on doors if I need to. I can do uh, address accessibility needs for your campaign. Uh, so that experience, I really feel um, I want to do more of that um, and so that I can understand it more and that I can continue this on with other campaigns um, and uh, continue to understand and that they will understand that one day I could uh, potentially represent our community as well. How does uh, John Reninger Jr. want to be remembered? I'm going to be remembered as a person who's didn't always um, think of himself, but lifts up other people and lifts up everyone um, and lifts up the community. Um, deaf children and deaf kids and their future, um, those are things I'm passionate about and I want um, everybody to be satisfied with, with those things in their own life and to be inspired by me and to take that example and use it um, to pass it on to the next generation after them. Yeah, I love it. What piece of advice do you have for our listeners, our viewers, anything? What piece of advice do you have for us in life? Well, just keep going. Keep going. You know, you just have to keep going. And it doesn't matter uh, when you're hitting walls, hitting barriers, you feel like you're up against a, up against a rock. You just have to keep going. Um, sometimes as people, we have to be
be that squeaky wheel. Um, you have to keep making noise. And then finally, somebody's going to come down and oil it. Um, you just have to keep going and do what you want um, and keep up with it and not give up. And people will eventually recognize that. They'll recognize that and a change will happen. And that's the kind of thing that's really important is that perseverance and persistence in whatever your goals are. I like it. Great advice, man. I appreciate that. Where, how do our listeners and our viewers get in touch with you? No cell number, but you have an email. Um, I'm pretty available on Twitter. Twitter, it's at spell it again. Tune it down. Underscore. U H U, or H U H. Tune it down, huh? So the reason for that, it's actually a funny story. Um, as I was getting together um, with a few of a few of my kids, do have some hearing, um, and they listen to music, um, and it's the kind of music where they would say "turn it down," oh. um, that kind of like loud music, and I enjoy that because I can feel it. And, you know, other people would say "turn it down." But uh, I get to be involved with my kids in that, you know, in the car and it's loud and it's bumping in space and, you know, people, um, it's kind of turn it down for what? Why would we turn that down? Um, so I made that my Twitter handle, turn it down, huh? Um, so it's tune. That was an interpreter mistake. That's tune it down. Um, because, you know, when you're tuning the sound, uh, your, your hearing ears depend on everything being in tune and exactly right and the voice being the right pitch. Um, and that doesn't really mean anything to me. So I don't need it to be tuned. I can just live without tuning, um, without that fine, those fine settings. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I'm with you. Last question of the day for you. If you look into that camera, John, do you prove this podcast? Yep. As John Renninger Jr., I approve this podcast. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was great, man. I truly hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have a defining moment or moments you would like to share, please reach out to me. I would love to visit with you about it and share it with the world on a podcast. Here's how to find me. Visit my website, www.definingmomentspod.com. Subscribe to Defining Moments Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed listening to this show, I would be extremely honored if you gave us a review. This helps boost this podcast so more people can find it. Go out and be a positive influence today, every day. Make someone smile. My name is Wong Lam, and I approve this podcast.